0: We're in 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, open to 1 Peter chapter number 3. <clears throat> and uh, we're walking through this book of 1 Peter, and we're in chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 18 this morning. 1 Peter 3, verse number 18. And uh, just thankful to be here this morning. In fact, uh, today, we, we, uh, I'm always excited for visitors Always excited to see students coming home, but today we have two of them in our service. Uh, Tanner Sullivan, who uh, is serving in the Navy, and Ethan Smith is in the Air Force. And both of them are here today, and so I'm grateful that that you guys are here. Saw you at a distance. I don't even know where you're sitting, but I'm glad you're here. And so uh, excited to have you guys this morning back home for a little while. So this morning, talking about victorious suffering... Uh, Victorious Suffering, that's the sermon title today. And uh, when you're talking about people, it's interesting when you're dealing with people and how we remember people. We always remember the accomplishments in their life. Uh, When you're talking at a funeral, you talk about the things they accomplished or maybe the character that they exhibited. You talk about what they did when they were living. And uh, when you're looking back over history, when you're talking about people that you remember in history, George Washington. George Washington was the first president of the United States of America. And, uh, and so we remember him in his presidency Ben Franklin, uh, electricity, Thomas Edison, the light bulb Walt Disney, Mickey Mouse, Brian Gilliland Still being written, so uh, I'm not sure But Jesus Christ, you know what's interesting is about Jesus Christ uh, Jesus Christ, the universal symbol to remember Jesus Christ is the cross The cruelest form of execution known in the ancient world ...is linked to the name of Jesus Christ. We don't talk about Jesus Christ. We don't remember him in the cradle as much as we do the cross. Uh, We don't talk about his kingship, but we talk about the cross. We talk about the death of jesus christ and uh, and that's how again we remember him and when you're talking about jesus christ uh, if you know jesus christ to know jesus christ is to know of his suffering and uh, this morning we're talking about this passage of scripture where peter is writing this letter and uh, and the whole purpose for the letter is, is is to encourage saints who are in the midst of struggles uh... because we're gonna struggle along the way we live life in a broken world and uh, and and the Bible's very clear in fact it says hey if you're seriously seeking to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, then you can expect some suffering along the way. You can expect some persecution to happen in your life along the way. Peter is writing to a group of people who are very, very much aware of intense persecution. Uh, we're talking about people who were living life on run uh, because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter's writing to them, and he's encouraging them along the way to stand strong. Uh, uh, to stand strong when you're experiencing suffering. Last week we talked about uh, 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 to do right when wronged. And, and, and that's a strong message when you're talking about uh, faced with persecution, faced with people that don't like you, faced with people that are coming after you. And to be able to love them, to do right when wronged is a difficult message. And, and, and so Peter, he, he, after exhorting them, he shifts it and he says, but, but, but let me just remind you uh, that Jesus Christ... Suffered greatly. And that's what he does in this letter. He, 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 he knows, he's anticipating his crowd's response. The crowd's response is good night. That's difficult to do. And he's saying, yeah, it's difficult to do. But remember what Jesus Christ did. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews did the same thing. Remember in the, in, in the book of Hebrews, when you're reading through there, Hebrews chapter number 11, we call it Faith's Hall of Fame. And, uh, and, 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 and we look at all of these different pictures. We look at all these different people, and the right reason why he includes that whole chapter is to encourage you in your faith. And then in chapter number 12, the first two verses, he, he shifts it, and he says... But, but, but take heart. Look at Jesus Christ. In fact, he says in verse number 2 of Hebrews chapter number 12, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember the price that he paid. Remember the suffering that he endured. And take heart. You're not alone. You're not alone. Victorious in suffering. Understanding this, that suffering is not for naught. All right suffering is the, that God can use suffering in my life to impact eternity. That's the message in a nutshell. And, and and in fact when you're looking at this particular passage of scripture, remember the purpose for which it's being written. 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 18 and following. Watch what he says here. For Christ also Died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of Yark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. <clears throat> Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, Says, so take it easy, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. And just talking today about this passage of scripture, passage of scripture is written to, uh, again, encourage saints in the midst of suffering, to enlighten sinners, understanding that Jesus Christ loves you and he paid the ultimate price for you in order to bring you Into the presence of God Almighty. When you're looking at this particular passage of Scripture, you gotta be careful because within this contains, some would even argue, uh, one of the most difficult verses in all of the Bible. Uh, and, so, and so there's no room for dogmatism When you're talking about some of the mysteries that exist in scripture And you find them from here to there And so this morning uh, When you're looking at this particular passage of scripture Just keep in mind, again uh, It's not written He did not include this passage of scripture Simply for theological debate Although there's room for that uh, uh, That's not the point and not the purpose And so what we have to do is be careful That we don't miss the forest for the tree And so with that being said this morning he talks and he and he says hey i want you to look at four things in this particular passage of scripture today. Number one, the crucifixion of Christ. The crucifixion of Christ. Verse number 18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. And then he goes on from there. But he's talking about, again, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Also, he begins, for Christ also died. And it's pulling us back to the text from last week. It's pulling us back saying, hey, listen, I know that you're going to go through suffering and I know that there's going to be some difficult days along the way. But can I tell you something? Christ suffered ultimate suffering for you. And for me. So he's just reminding them. He says he died once for all. And when you're talking about every law. Every law has a penalty. The laws are known to man. Every law known to man has a penalty that goes with it. Or else how absurd would it be to have a law with no penalty. An unenforceable law is kind of ridiculous. To have laws that are not enforceable without penalty. And so God's law has a penalty. God's law carries with it a penalty. So what is the penalty of God's law? Well, the Bible says over in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter number 6, it says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So the wages, in other, words, in other words, the penalty for breaking God's law is death. And the Bible says that all of us have broken God's law. Romans chapter number 3 and verse number 23, for all of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? That means that I am guilty of breaking God's law. You are guilty of breaking God's law. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful that we have a savior that stood in our place? We have a savior that although all I could do was stand guilty before God, he said, I'll take his place. I'll pay the price. The Bible says in John chapter number three, verses number 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son That whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son into this world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The Bible says here in Peter, he says, Hey, he died on the cross once for all, the just for the unjust. What's he saying? It's a big theological term that we use. It's substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. What do you mean, substitute? It means he took your place and he took my place. The just and place. Of the unjust. It's taught throughout Scripture uh, that He He paid the price for me and He paid the price for you. You can go back to Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verses number five and six. The Bible says this, and, and 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 I I just have two verses, but you can go back and read this whole chapter. But it says, But he was pierced through for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we're healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He took my place and he took your place and paid the price for me and paid the price for you. The Bible says over in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8 that God demonstrated his great love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, he died for you and for me. The Bible says over in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 21, it says, He made, he made, God made him who knew no sin, the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ. God made him who knew no sin. To be sin so that we might become the righteousness of him. You know what that means? That means that the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed, has been given, granted to your account and to my account. That's why I can stand before him. That's what he did for me and that's what he did for you. He suffered Incredible agony. When you're talking about the agony of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, don't walk over it too quickly. He's writing again to help us remember. Listen, you might go through difficult days, but it doesn't compare to the suffering of the Son of God. And it was was not even justified for him. For him. He took my place and he took your place. When you're talking about the scourging of Jesus Christ, in other words, they would take the whips and they would rip flesh from his body. Ultimately, the, 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 the goal is, is, is let me see how close we can take him to death without killing the man. And after that, they put a robe on him and mocked him and beat him, tossing him around. And then they took him and put a crown of thorns into his head. And after that, they took the spikes and nailed them into his hands and his feet and hung him on a cross. He suffered for you and for me that's the price he was willing to pay for me and for you remember what he did and the bible says the just for the unjust but but that he did it and it's complete hebrews 10 verses number 11 through 14 hebrews 10 verses 11 through 14 every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but he having offering offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Jesus Christ paid the price in full. Why did he do it? Same, in this same verse, so that he might bring us to God. So that he might bring us to God. You know, it's interesting. that The term used to describe bringing us to God is a term that's describing actually a person that's in the kingdom, and a kingdom, an earthly kingdom. It's kind of like a credentials committee of one. In other words, is this, is, this visitor, is this visitor welcome into the presence of the king? And, and, and he looks at them and he determines whether or not I can bring this, whether or not I can usher this person into the presence of the king. And he's saying, hey, listen, today I am bringing you into the presence of the king of kings. In other words, imagine the picture. The picture being presented here is kind of like this, man. I want to see God. I want an intimacy with God. I want to know God. And Jesus Christ says, I'll take you to him. And when Jesus Christ grabs you by the hand and he walks you into the presence of the Father, he says, hey, this is Brian. This is Brian. And can I tell you something? He's been washed in the blood of the lamb. He's come by the way of the cross. And so I have admittance to the presence of the Father because of the Son. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to be ushered into the presence of God Almighty. It's through Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. If you've never called on his name, I would encourage you to call on his name today. There's only one way to be saved. Remember the crucifixion of Christ. And then he goes on from there. Verse number 18, the second half. He says having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the their construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And it goes on from there. But he's talking about, secondly, remember and reflect on uh, uh, the proclamation of Christ, the proclamation of It's interesting in this particular passage of Scripture because he's talking about here in this passage of Scripture what happened. What happened to Jesus after the crucifixion and before the resurrection? He's talking about three days here. What about those three days? Where was he? What happened? What took place? And we get a little glimpse. I believe he gives us a little glimpse. In verse number 18, he says this. Y'all okay this morning? Here we are. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And when you're talking about the Spirit, you may have the KJV, and it says the big Holy Spirit, it says the big S, capital S, Uh, but the problem with that is the definite article is not included there, and so we're talking about a little less. We're talking about uh, the contrast between uh, the flesh and the Spirit. In other words, when you're talking about Jesus Christ, he's not just saying this is the Holy Spirit of God, he's talking about, in his humanity. Uh, verse, Luke 23, uh, verse number 46. Luke 23 and verse number 46. And the Bible says this. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. In other words, there's the flesh and then there's the spirit. And each one of us possess that. In fact, whenever we die, whenever I die, one day I'm going to breathe my last breath. And my physical body's going to die, but my spirit won't. In fact, the Bible says this, man, my my, my flesh is dying daily. I feel it. (laughs) My flesh is dying daily, but my spirit's being renewed every day. I'm I'm alive more today than I've ever been. I'm grateful to God for that. The flesh and the spirit. So he's contrasting that. He's simply saying, hey, listen, my spirit was not in the grave. So where did it go? He went on a journey. The Bible says, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. So that's some great questions right there. So in verse number 19, Jesus Christ went. He went to a literal place, a location, but where did he go? Well, the Bible says, 2 Peter chapter number 2, and in verse number 4, 2 Peter chapter 2, and in verse number 4. For by these, that's the wrong verse. Uh, for if God did not spare his angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And so he goes on from there. But the word used in 2 Peter 2, 4 is Tartarus. And, and it's simply this. It's kind of like a, uh, we would call it maybe a maximum security unit in Hades, the place of the dead. It, it, it's like a, a maximum security unit uh, uh, where he locked away spirits and so that would be the question so if he went there if he went there to proclaim to the spirits then what in the world did he say and and who was there well the bible says first of all to proclaim to the spirits now in prison and so who are these spirits Uh, when you're looking at the new testament interesting because there's a couple of different greek words used uh, to talk about spirits in the new testament uh, uh, one of them is, is translated, spirits, and then the other word that's used oftentimes is translated, soul. And whenever you're talking in the, in, in the Greek New Testament, the word that is used here in this particular passage of Scripture, the word is never used, never used to describe people. It's never used to describe people unless unless there is a, 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 a describing word with it. In other words, the spirit of her, the spirit of him. Uh, but, but unless if that's not there, it's never used in the New Testament to describe humans. It's always used throughout Scripture. Every time it's standing alone, every time it stands alone, it's talking about demons, and it's talking about angels, spiritual beings, spiritual beings. And so he went, and he made proclamation in a place called Tartarus, to spiritual beings, a maximum security unit down in hell. Well, who were these spiritual beings that were locked away in maximum security unit? I think that the Bible even gives us some pictures about who these were, these demons were. Jude 6, the Bible says it like this, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great So who were they? Well, I think that they are those that they're, in fact, he gives reference to the days of Noah. What happened during the days of Noah? What was the wickedness that was taking place on the planet during the days of Noah? Genesis 6 gives us a picture of who these were. The Bible says, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. And then the Lord said, My spirit shall not live, strive with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. And he's talking there about these fallen angels. What did they do? They possessed humanity. Demonic possession is what he's talking about. There are some people that struggle with demonic possession But I would say, read the Gospels even, when Jesus Christ delivered people from demonic possession. It is such a thing. And in the Old Testament back there in Genesis during the days of Noah, there was demons that possessed man for the intent purpose for messing up the messianic lineage. In other words, what were they trying to do? They were trying to thwart the redemption of mankind. And they committed deeds of wickedness. And God took them and locked them away. And so the Bible says Jesus went there in spirit. Uh, he says, in, who once were disobedient. Let me, let me back up here, verse number 19. In which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. So the question would be not just who is there, who did he talk to, but what did he say. And, uh, and so he made proclamation. We don't have the entire message. We don't have the message In its entirety but what we do have to be careful of is he's not talking hey he's not talking about purgatory he's not talking about a second chance he's not talking about a holding place where maybe I might get a second chance after I die not what he's talking about. In fact, in fact, this is the verse that, 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 that Catholicism has built that whole idea of purgatory around. But he's not talking about human people. He's talking about demons that are locked away. And, and furthermore, when, we, when, when, when we're when we talking about the message that he delivered, the message that he delivered, there's a couple of words again that are used in the Greek to talk about the proclamation, uh, Caruso. And, and, and Caruso is simply declaration. It's, it's a person that goes before before a king to to declare maybe his deeds or maybe his presence uh, among you. And so it's not the word uh, that we would use for evangelism. Same word, root word used for evangelism oftentimes uh, translated the proclamation of the gospel. He's not preaching the gospel, he's making an announcement. So why did he go and make an announcement to demons that are locked away in a maximum security unit in hell? You answered that one. <laughs> I don't know, what was the announcement? I'm not sure of that one. I'm not 100% sure, but I bet you maybe he came into the presence of these fellas and just wanted to say, hey! He bruised me, but I crushed his head. It's finished, you can't thwart it, it's finished. It's done. I am king. I'm king. I conquered death. I defeated the enemy. And I am alive forevermore. Maybe that was the message. Maybe that was the message. I don't know what he gave, but he gave a message. <laughs> and you know what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11? The Bible says in Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It was a declaration of his kingship. The salvation of Christ goes on to give a picture. Interesting how he's writing this letter, because he's writing and he talks about the days of Noah and then he links the days of Noah to baptism. And he's basically saying, hey, the salvation of Christ, what was accomplished? What was accomplished? Salvation, salvation, just like in the days of Noah, Uh, When you're talking about salvation. And so it's a picture. Verses number 20 and 21. It says, uh, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, or in like manner, or an antitype similar to uh, uh, the ark. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying, hey, there's a picture of salvation. Remember the salvation accomplished. Remember the salvation accomplished by God. What a beautiful picture of salvation is the ark. When you go back to uh, the Old Testament, doesn't mean that it wasn't literal. I I believe it was literal. I believe there was a flood that flooded the entire planet, not just pieces and parts, but the entire planet wiping out humanity because the judgment of God fell. That's what the rain represents, the judgment of God falling on mankind. But God made a way. And there wasn't, but one way. There was only one. If you ever saw that movie called Noah, if you ever watch that movie, in, in this, don't don't go see it. Don't waste your time because that Noah thing. All the, all the only thing they got right was there's a man named Noah. There was a flood. Everything else is wrong. If you watch the movie, but the Bible is clear about Noah. The Bible does say, man, during the days of Noah, there was an ark, but there was only one ark. There weren't any dinghies. There weren't any extra floating devices. There was an ark, one boat, one boat, one cross, one door, one door. There weren't any stowaways that get on board. (laughs) Doesn't happen that way. And you know what happened? When Noah constructed the ark, he put pitch Why did he put pitch? To waterproof the ark. So that not one drop of judgment could hit those inside of the ark. That's what the pitch was. You know what's interesting is the same word for pitch is atonement. Atonement. And that's what the cross does for you and for me. Do you know that when I'm washed in the blood, and then when I come in through one door, through Jesus Christ, that I'll never experience the judgment of God? What a beautiful picture is that. Hey, it's a rocky ride sometimes. (laughs) But I'll be delivered safely to the other side. And by the way, it's not about how tight I hold on because I'm secure. I'm secure. It speaks to the assurance of our salvation, the ark. But then he says, in like manner, just like that's a picture of salvation of mankind, just like the ark in the Old Testament is a picture, so is baptism. So is baptism. It's a picture And and, and by the way, when you're talking about this verse of Scripture, be careful, because watch what he says here. He says, corresponding to that, uh, in other words, just like that, just like that picture that's presented there, baptism now saves you. Uh, Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, hey, this is not written. This is not about what we would call uh, baptismal regeneration. In other words, my baptism didn't save me. Baptism doesn't save me. It has no, we would call, soteriological effect on my being. I'm not saved because of, my, because of my baptism. It's not what saved me. But it presents an incredible picture of what saves me. It presents a beautiful picture of what saves me. See, there's some people today that say, man, well, y'all baptized because y'all are Baptists. No, we're baptized because we're biblical. Not because I'm a Baptist. It's a picture. Imagine, imagine, imagine this. To, 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 think that, to think that, hey, the method, how you baptize, really doesn't matter. It, it would be like this. A lot of y'all know my wife. She's not here today. She's not feeling well today. But um, if I said, hey, let me, let me, let me show you my wife. And I pulled out a picture of a teddy bear. Man, look at this. Look at this. I mean, I mean, you know, it, this is this is like my wife. I mean, it's just like my wife, my teddy bear, just like my wife. You'd say, I mean, you flipped out. it um, doesn't represent her. And, and and so when Jesus Christ selected the method by which we preach a message to the world, he says, I want you to be baptized. What does that mean? To be immersed. Why? Because it's a message being proclaimed. It's a picture of my salvation. It's a picture. Think about what immersion is. Immersion, Jesus Christ. I'm placing my faith in Jesus Christ, the one who came, the one who lived, the one who died and was buried. And we have this watery grave that we picture. And we don't hold them down for three days. Sometimes I want to, but we don't hold them down for three days. But it's a picture. It's symbolizing who I'm placing my faith in that Jesus Christ died and I believe that he conquered death and that he came back up. And it's it's a declaration of my salvation. That's what it is says, with a clear conscience. In other words, man, think about what happened when you got saved. When you got saved. When I got saved, man, the Holy Spirit of God knocked on the door of my heart. I called on his name. And they said, hey, the next step, the next step for my salvation, I'm already saved. But my next step of obedience would be baptism. And I was baptized. With a clear conscience. Why? Because, man, I'm placing my faith and my trust and my eternity in the hands of Jesus Christ. And here's a picture. Outward picture of what's happened on the inside. Baptism does matter. It does matter. <clears throat> so he says, the salvation of Jesus Christ. What was accomplished through the suffering? Salvation. But not only salvation, but the exaltation. Jesus Christ went back and assumed his rightful position on the throne. The Bible says in verse 22, who is at the right hand of God having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to Him. So today, when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not robed in His humility any longer. What we see is Him in all of His splendor and all of His majesty. And one of these days, we will have the privilege to be able to see Him face to face. What a day! That's going to be what was accomplished through his suffering. Victory. Changed all of eternity. Changed all of eternity. And it's, it's a word of encouragement to saints today. When you're in the midst of suffering today. When you're in the midst of suffering today as a believer. If I'm in the midst of suffering today. Hey, Jesus suffered too. And he can take your suffering and he can take my suffering and use it to impact all of eternity. If you've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would invite you, call on the name of Jesus Christ today. He loves you, desires an intimate relationship with you. Your sin separates you from God. How else, how else will you bridge the gap that exists created by your sin? Unless you call on the one who took my sin and he took your sin, and paid the price so that you can have intimacy with God. If you've never called on his name, call on his name today. Would you do me a favor this morning and join me for a time of prayer? We're going to pray. And after we pray, we're going to sing a song. And after the song's over, we have people down front that will pray with you, talk with you. We're here for you today. Maybe you hear this morning and say, man, I've never called on the name of Jesus. And today, I know I need him. Call on his name. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, we are so thankful today for Jesus Christ. So thankful that you came and that you conquered death. You conquered the grave that you're alive today. We have a risen Savior, living hope. Father, thank you for enduring the persecution, the crucifixion. And God's so thankful today that you conquered death in the grave. Lord Jesus, I pray now that you'd search our hearts and search our minds, each and every one of us. Father, I pray for those that are even here this morning. God some that are struggling today. Strengthen their faith, God. Strengthen them. God, I thank you that you are a God that can take the broken pieces of our lives, and create something beautiful. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. I pray that we bring honor and glory to your name in all we do and all we say. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.